Welcome to Bitterroot Bounce. Uh, this is a podcast recording of stories, primarily, at least at the beginning, fictional stories, short stories that are intended to give you, Yvonne, my sweet wife, a little bit of respite while you're on the road, bouncing up and down the Bitterroot Valley in Montana. This is a song. This is a story from the collected stories of Eudora Welty, and specifically, this was published in *A Curtain of Green* and other stories. I believe this was published in the '30s, late '30s or '40s. Um, and the story is called *A Piece of News* by Eudora Welty. She had been out in the rain. She stood in front of the cabin fireplace, her legs wide apart, bending over, shaking her wet yellow head crossly like a cat, reproaching itself for not knowing better. She was talking to herself, only a small, fluttering sound, hard to lay hold of in the sparsity of the room. The pouring down rain, the pouring down rain. Was that what she was saying over and over, like a song? She stood turning in little quarter turns to dry herself, her head bent forward and the yellow hair hanging out streaming and tangled. She was holding her skirt primly out to draw the warmth in. Then, quite rosy, she walked over to the table and picked up a little bundle. It was a sack of coffee marked Sample in red letters, which she unwrapped from a wet newspaper, but she handled it tenderly. Why, how come he wrapped it in a newspaper, she said, catching her breath, looking from one hand to the other. She must have been lonesome and slow all her life, the way things would always take her by surprise. She set the coffee on the table just in the center. Then she dragged the newspaper by one corner in a dreamy walk across the floor, spread it all out, and lay down full length on top of it in front of the fire. Her little song about the rain... Her cries of surprise had only been preliminary, only playful pouting with which she amused herself when she was alone. She was pleased with herself now. As she sprawled close to the fire, her hair began to slide out of its damp tangles and hung all displayed down her back like a piece of bargain silk. She closed her eyes. Her mouth fell into a deepness, into a look of unconscious cunning. Yet in her very stillness and pleasure, She seemed to be hiding there, all alone. And at moments when the fire stirred and tumbled in the grate, she would tremble, and her hand would start out as if in impatience or despair. Presently she stirred and reached under her back for the newspaper. Then she squatted there, touching the printed page as if it were fragile. She did not merely look at it. She watched it, as if it were unpredictable, like a young girl watching a baby. The paper was still wet in places where her body had lain, crouching tensely and patting the creases away with small, cracked red fingers. She frowned now, and then at the blotching drawing of something in big letters that spelled a word underneath. Her lips trembled, as if looking and spelling so slowly had stirred her heart. All at once she laughed. She looked up. Ruby Fisher, she whispered. 
An expression of utter timidity came over her flat blue eyes and her soft mouth. Then a look of fright. She stared about. What eye in the world did she feel looking in on her? She pulled her dress down tightly and began to spell through a dozen words of newspaper. The little item said, Mrs. Ruby Fisher had the misfortune to be shot in the leg by her husband this week. As she passed from one word to the next, she only whispered. She left the long word misfortune till the last and came back to it. Then she said it all over out loud like conversation. That's me, she said softly with deference, very formally. The fire slipped and suddenly roared in the house, already deafening with the rain which beat upon the roof and hung full of lightning and thunder outside. You Clyde, screamed Ruby Fisher at last, jumping to her feet. Where are you, Clyde Fisher? She ran straight to the door and pulled it open. A shudder of cold brushed over her in the heat, and she seemed striped with anger and bewilderment. There was a flash of lightning, and she stood waiting, as if she half thought she would bring him in, a gun leveled in his hand. She said nothing more, and backing against the door, pushed it closely, closed with her hip. Her anger passed like a remote flare of elation. Neatly avoiding the table where the coffee bag stood, she began to walk nervously about the room, as if a teasing indecision, an untouched mystery, led her by the hand. There was one window, and she paused now and then, waiting, looking out at the rain. When she was still, there was a passivity about her, or a deception of passivity, that was not really passive at all. There was something in her that never stopped. At last she flung herself onto the floor back across the newspaper and looked at length into the fire. It might have been a mirror in the cabin into which she could look deeper and deeper as she pulled her fingers through her hair, trying to see herself and Clyde coming up behind her. Clyde? But of course her husband Clyde was still in the woods. He kept thick brushwood roof over his whiskey still, and he was mortally afraid of lightning like this, and would never go out in it for anything. And then, almost in amazement, she began to comprehend her predicament. It was unlike Clyde to take up a gun and shoot her. She bowed her head towards the heat onto her rosy arms and began to talk and talk to herself. She grew voluble. Even if he heard about the coffee man with the Pontiac car, she did not think he would shoot her. When Clyde would make her blue, she would go out onto the road, some car would slow down, and if it had a Tennessee license, the lucky kind, the chances were that she would spend an afternoon in the shed of the empty gin. Here she rolled her head about on her arms and stretched her legs tiredly behind her, like a cat. And if Clyde got word, he would slap her. But the account in the paper was wrong. Clyde had never shot her, even once. There had been a mistake made. A spark flew out and nearly caught the paper on fire. Almost in fright, she beat it out with her fingers. Then she murmured and lay back more firmly upon the pages. There she stretched, growing warmer and warmer, sleepier and sleepier. She began to wonder out loud how it would be if Clyde shot her in the leg. If he were truly angry, might he shoot her through the heart? At once she was imagining herself dying, she would have a nightgown to lie in and a bullet in her heart. Anyone could tell to see her lying with, there with that deep expression about her mouth 
How strange and terrible that would be. Underneath a brand new nightgown, her heart would be hurting with every beat, many times more than her toughened skin when Clyde slapped at her. Ruby began to cry softly, the way she would be crying from the extremity of pain. Tears would run down in a little stream over the quilt. Clyde would be standing there above her, as he once looked, with his wild black hair hanging to his shoulders. He used to be so very handsome and strong. He would say, Ruby, I've done this to you. She would say, only a whisper, that is the truth, Clyde. You done this to me. Then she would die. Her life would stop right there. She lay silently for a moment, composing her face into a look which would be beautiful, desirable, and dead. Clyde would have to buy her a dress to bury her in. He would have to dig a deep hole behind the house, under the cedar, a grave. He would have to nail her up a pine coffin and lay in her inside. Then he would have to carry her to the grave, lay her down and cover her up. All the time he would be wild, shouting, and all distracted to think he could never touch her one more time. She moved slightly, and her eyes turned toward the window. The white rain splashed down. She could hardly breathe for thinking if this was the way it was to fall on her grave, where Clyde would come and stand, looking down in the tears of some repentance. A whole tree of lightning stood in the sky. She kept looking out the window, suffused with the warmth from the fire and with the pity and beauty and power of her death. The thunder rolled. Then Clyde was standing there with dark streams flowing over the floor where he had walked. He poked Ruby with the butt of his gun as if she were asleep. What's keeping supper? He growled. She jumped and darted away from him. Then quicker than lightning, she put away the paper. The room was dark except for the firelight. From the long shadow of his steamy presence, she spoke to him glibly and lighted the lamp. He stood there with a stunned yet rather good-humored look of delay and patience in his face and kept on standing there. He stamped his mud-red boots and his enormous hands seemed weighted with the rain that fell from him and dripped down the barrel of the gun. Presently, he sat down with dignity in the chair at the table, making a little tumult of his rightful wetness and hunger. Small streams began to flow from him everywhere. Ruby was going through the preparations for the meal gently. She stood almost on tiptoes in her bare, warm feet. Once as she knelt at the safe, getting out the biscuits, she saw Clyde looking at her, and she smiled and bent her head tenderly. There was some way she began to move her arms that was mysteriously sweet and yet abrupt and tentative, a delicate and vulnerable manner, as though her breasts gave her pain. She made many unnecessary trips back and forth across the floor, circling Clyde where he sat in his steamy silence, a knife and fork in his fists. "'Well, where you been anyway?' he grumbled at last, as she set the first dish on the table. "'Nowhere special.' "'Don't you talk back to me!' You've been hitchhiking again, ain't you? He almost chuckled. She gave him a quick look straight into his eyes. She had not even heard him. She was filled with happiness. Her hand trembled when she poured the coffee. Some of it splashed on his wrist, 
At that, he let his hand drop heavily down upon the table and made the plates jump. Someday I'm gonna smack the living devil out of you, he said. Ruby dodged mechanically. She let him eat. Then when he had crossed his knife and fork over his plate, she brought him the newspaper. Again, she looked at him in delight. It excited her even to touch the paper with her hand, to hear its quiet, secret noise when she carried it, the rustle of surprise. A newspaper! Clyde snatched it roughly with a grabbing disparagement. Where'd you get that, hussy? Look at this here, said Ruby in her small sing-song voice. She opened the paper while he held it and pointed gravely to the paragraph. Reluctantly, Clyde began to read it. She watched his damp, bald head slowly bend and turn. Then he made a sound in his throat and said, It's a lie. That's what's in the newspaper about me, said Ruby, standing up straight. She took his plate and gave him that look of joy. He put his big, crooked finger on the paragraph and poked at it. Well, I'd just like to see the place I shot you, he cried explosively. He looked up, his face blank and bold. But she drew herself in, still holding the empty plate, face him straightened and hard, and they looked at each other. The moment filled full with their helplessness. Slowly they both flushed, as though with a double shame and a double pleasure. It was as though Clyde might have really killed Ruby, and as though Ruby might really have been dead at his hand. Rare and wavering, some possibility stood timidly like a stranger between them and made them hang their heads. Then Clyde walked over in his water-soaked boots and laid the paper on the dying fire. It floated there a moment and then burst into flame. They stood and watched it burn. The whole room was bright. Look, said Clyde suddenly. It's a Tennessee paper. See? Tennessee. That wasn't none of you it wrote about. He laughed to show that he had been right all the time. It was Ruby Fisher, cried Ruby. My name is Ruby Fisher, she declared passionately to Clyde. Oh, it was another Ruby Fisher in Tennessee, cried her husband. Fool me, huh? Where'd you get that paper? He spanked her good-humoredly across the backside. Ruby folded her still trembling hands into her skirt. She stood stooping by the window until everything outside and in was quieted before she went to her supper. It was dark and vague outside. The storm had rolled away to faintness, like a wagon crossing a bridge. And that is a piece of news by Eudora Welty from the collected stories of Eudora Welty. What a funny story to start with. Like I said, I've never read these stories and I am reading them alongside you for the first time. I don't know a lot about Eudora Welty. I got a book from Grandy when she passed away that was 
a collection of short stories of Eudora Welty's, and uh, the only thing I know about her is that she was a Southern writer, which is to say that she writes stories that are situated in and in dialogue with the South and the people that make the South what the South is. So, yeah, I don't know a lot about her. I don't know a lot about the background of the story, but I do find this story captivating in thinking about this sort of fantasy that this woman has about the the res, the ending of a relationship the the her death being the end of a relationship her murder being the end of a relationship with her husband as a sort of a fantasy that almost gets her feeling giddy and emboldened to a certain extent a very funny funny story and i say funny not funny haha, but but interesting story to start with considering I feel like you and I are in a great place right now and I feel like the idea that sort of permeates this story which is which is one of control and and captivity and you know not allowing him not allowing her to have her freedom and then her sort of subjugating that control uh, by you know going in these rides with men from Tennessee uh, uh, it just feels real it just feels devious and it feels uh, feels vile and it feels just the lack of trust and the, the, the sort of blatant uh, disregard for any kind of equality between them is re is a very funny thing to start with. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lucky guess on my part, I guess. Uh, that being said, I did enjoy the story. I thought it was a good story. I like the the premise is good. I like the the irony that that we she ha is having this sort of fantasy about being shot by her husband knowing that that hasn't happened uh, but allowing it to sort of manifest and then realizing that in, in actuality he's he is beating her he is abusing her physically and um, she is stuck it seems with him in spite of that abuse and how sad to think that you would be almost thrilled with the with the idea that maybe you could end it could be ended for you by such horrific violence. Anyway, I like the story. I will read more. Pretty bold, pretty heavy story for I think I looked it up. I think it was 1941. The story was written. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and it makes me grateful to know that I don't hold my being murdered by you over your head when you're beating me up 
and or vice versa. Alright, that said, love. <laughs>